Dive right in this morning. We're starting a new series today, a series entitled Character Foundations. Character Foundations. Would you open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 6 and 1 Samuel 15. Uh, when I use the word foundation, I say the word foundation, there's probably a couple of things that come to mind. Probably the most common would be the, the, the part of the house or a building that holds everything up, right? If you've ever built a house, you understand that the first thing that happens is you pour a foundation. You dig the footings, you pour that cement, and you, uh, and you pour that, you get that, that, that base set to build the house. You know, there's things in our lives that uh, are, are foundational in, in the way that we live our, out our lives for Jesus Christ. There's things that cannot be compromised. There's things that are absolutely essential to our lives as believers. And we're going to talk the next few weeks about some of the character foundations that are necessary in our lives. Now, there are other foundations. There's other parts of the foundation. Let's, let's put it that way. Uh, there's doctrinal and theo- theological foundations. Of, you know, we, un- we understand that, that our, our, our walk with the Lord and, and, and who we are as a church is centered on the person of Jesus Christ. That is foundational for us. That is a non-negotiable. You take that away, it all falls apart. We even sang about that this morning. We're going to read that passage, in fact, today during this message in Luke 6. Um, the definition in the dictionary of foundation is this. It is the lowest load-bearing part of a building, typically below ground level. Now, that doesn't come as a surprise to anyone. I think the, the key here is the word load-bearing. Load-bearing. It carries the weight of what's built on top of it, and then it says it's typically below ground level. On a, on a, a non-building sense, it would be this. It's an underlying basis or principle, so a foundation of thought or thinking uh, would be the ideas or the principles that support everything else that's built on top of it. There was a third definition that had to do with makeup, but I didn't include that one. So, <laughs> the integrity, and we understand this, the integrity of an entire building rests on the quality of the foundation. The integrity of an entire building rests on the quality of the foundation. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 49. He says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and put them into practice, I I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on a rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck the house, uh, the house, but could not uh, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. Jesus here talks about roots and rocks. Roots and rocks. The the foundation of a tree 
is its root structure. It's what's below the surface. It's, what, it's what's not seen, but if it's not tended to and it's not healthy and it's not well established, that that tree will not flourish, will not stand, and definitely will not produce fruit. And then he ties it together and says, it's like a man, a person who hears my words and doesn't put them into practice, is like a man who builds his house on the sand. But the person who hears my words and puts them into practice, does what I say, is like that person who digs down deep and finds the bedrock and builds there. Now, of course, in in Jesus' time, they weren't building with cement like we do now. And so in order for them to make sure that that house would stand, they would dig down as far as they could go through the sand and through the silt, and they would find where that bedrock, there's a layer in the earth that's, that's that bedrock. And you dig down as far as you need to go to find that bedrock so you can build that house so it will last. When you go to Israel, it's amazing to go to these villages and these communities that are thousands of years old. And there are still remnants of those walls while the rest of the structure might have come down. You can still see where those foundations are because they were so well built. And we're talking two, three, four, five thousand years old. See, when you find the bedrock, when you find that solid place and you build on that, as we said, we will not be, sh- be shaken. Right. We will not be moved. See, we have in our lives, we have... Two parts of our lives, we have the public, the visible, the parts that we see and the parts that we let people see, and then we have the private, the things that people don't see. It's what's below the ground. It's what happens behind closed doors and when no one is watching. And we have to understand this, that the private, unseen parts of our lives support the public. In fact, there it is. You're you're ahead of me. This is good. Right, The private and the public, the, what, what's below the ground needs to support what's above the ground. What happens in my private life and what happens behind closed doors needs to support, needs to, 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 to underpin what's happening in my public life. When those things do not match, there's a character issue. When who, what, what I am in private doesn't match up with who I am in public, it speaks to a bad character. There's, there's brokenness in that character. And so we have to know and understand that character is foundational in our walk with the Lord. Because what happens is if we neglect the private and we do this... And we have a, a small private devotional life and, and we, we allow things in our, our private lives to go to the wayside or, or be ignored or we compromise. What happens then is the public starts overwhelming the, the private and eventually that's going to become so top heavy, something's going something's to give, something's going to break and usually it comes in the way of a storm there's something that happens in our lives, something unexpected, something painful, and, and it's the real you comes out, the real me comes out. Now, let me just say this. I always want to, as a reminder for myself, I, these messages are not easy to preach because as I'm studying and as I'm preparing, God's just pointing out things in my own life, and, and it's just another one of those places where I'm like, God, I think this is for me and might be for everyone else, but I'm just going to just kind of deal with my own heart in this. 
Because when we get honest and we get real with God, he will meet us in that place and he will expose and show the things that need to be dealt with in our lives because he's faithful. But I love this about God. He does it in a way that's loving and tender and kind and compassionate and merciful. And so let me just say right out of the gate this morning, the goal is not to beat up. Don't don't feel beat up this morning. God's desire is to build you up and to reinforce places that need to be reinforced. See, we have to dig deep. Foundations are the least satisfying part of construction. They're building a new Starbucks over by Home Depot. I think I can't believe it. A Home Depot and a Starbucks in the same parking lot. I could park right in the middle. (laughs) This is like heaven. This is amazing. If you, if you need me, I'll be there. But they put up that fence around it, right, that, that green fence that you can't see through, and they're doing the foundation. I know, I'm a nerd. I'm weird. But, but I'm, like, trying to picture what this thing is going to look like, right? how much seating. That's, that's kind of what my concern is, that they're not going to put enough seating area, right, because I can't stand going to Starbucks and not being able to find a place to sit because I want to hang out for a little bit. And so I'm like, I'm trying to peek, right, as I'm driving by, trying to peek through the fence, and they've got the footings all dug, and they've got the framework all set up to pour that cement, but you can't tell what it's going to look like. There's nothing really satisfying about pouring a foundation. You do all this digging, you pour the foundation, you put in all the electrical and all of the plumbing and everything, and when you strip away the form, you're just left with a big piece of cement. It doesn't look like much, but you can't skip it. You absolutely cannot skip it. It is without a doubt the most important part of the building. Can I tell you right now, sometimes in our walk with God, there's places where we just need to put the work in. And you might go, well, I don't feel like I'm just, I'm not feeling really satisfied or I'm not really pumped up and fired up about what I'm walking through or or the time that I'm having to put in. It's okay. Foundations deserve that level of attention. And the reward comes later. The reward comes later, especially in regards to longevity. See, a good foundation will determine success. The house I grew up in was built out of brick. And we had, it was a two-story house, and we had the staircase that was built kind of, it was a, it, it wasn't an addition to the, the, the property or to the house. It was part of the plan, but it was kind of this cool, it looked like kind of like a, a turret on a castle, and so the staircase kind of jutted out from the house, and it was this kind of round uh, brick edifice. It was, it was pretty cool. Um, but we discovered that it was sinking, that this part of the house started dropping. Because it was a, a brick house, you could see the cracks starting to form in, uh, in the side of the building. And so I remember as a kid watching as the builder came in, And they started digging all the way around the outside of that foundation. And they went down really deep and exposed the the foundation below. And they found that because of some road construction right adjacent to where we lived, where they had excavated the the soil, that the sand in the soil was starting to shift and it had eroded underneath the cement. And so what they were able to do is to come in with these big hydraulic jacks. And they jacked up the house. They jacked up that portion of the house and dug new footings and were able to go way deeper and pour new cement footings for this house and, and save the house. I think there's some encouragement for us in that. See, God's all about fixing broken foundations. 
And you might hear some of the things we talk about this morning and go, oh, oh, well, it's too late. No, it's not too late. That God can come in and do the work below the surface that needs to be done. He's faithful. He specializes in that. He, he is fully equipped and prepared to do the work in our lives that he needs to do to get us back on the rock. Amen? 1 Corinthians 9, uh, rather 3, verse 9, Paul says this as he talks about building. He says, we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace given, uh, God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. You catch that? A wise builder lays a foundation, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ, and that is, he is our cornerstone. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, silver costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. And Paul lays out this comparison between building materials, gold, silver, and costly stones versus wood, hay, and straw. When he says it'll be tested by fire, we understand that wood, hay, and straw not going to stand up, right? But the gold, the silver, and the costly stones will stand the test of time. See, we got to make sure we don't skimp in the building process of our lives, that we don't ignore or use inferior products to build what God is doing in our own lives and in our own souls. A few years back, I was involved in raising support and money for building a school in Nairobi, Kenya, and uh, we as a church had, had raised tens of thousands of dollars in a relatively short amount of time, and we were able to go and, and, and give that money to a pastor in Nairobi, and, and uh, he started this building project. But here's the problem with most pastors. They're not builders. And so there was a builder who saw this guy coming a mile away and was like, oh, I'm going to get some money out of this. And so he started building this school building, which would ultimately end up being a five-story building. That was the, the plan. Um, he was able to build and dig the foundation and actually did a decent job with that, but then started doing the first, the first floor and building the walls and the columns that would ultimately support the rest of the building, and then ran out of money. And uh, ended up visiting the pastor there, and we had to sort through all of the, the relational issues that came with that and, and had to address things like shame. He was ashamed that the money had run out and we had people on this side of the, the, the globe were going, well, what happened? Um, but we're able to press through, reconcile all of those things and then just go look practically at what's going on at this building. And uh, I had found another builder in Nairobi, someone who was reputable. And so he went to the building site with us and he started looking around and he says, hey, and he actually pointed out, he says, right up to about this point, he was using good materials. But I can tell when he started putting money in his own pocket because the bricks and the stone that he was using to build from here on up are inferior. In fact, he took his finger and he stuck his finger into one of the, the, the stones that was forming the foundation and it just crumbled, just crumbled. 
And I was so thankful because that building, by the way, is they've continued to build and it is now complete. There's a church that meets there. There's an elementary school there and, and, and it is a solid building. I've got to tour. It's an amazing thing. But I was so thankful that we caught it at that stage because had that gone unseen and unchecked, lives would have been in jeopardy. In fact, another place in Nairobi just recently, a building, an apartment building collapsed and people lost their lives because of inferior building products. Paul says we need to make sure that what we're building our lives with, especially when it comes to the bottom rung, to the foundation and the, the, those initial walls that get stood up and those things that get built, that we have to invest quality into that part of our lives because not only will it affect us, but it will affect other people. That we need to ensure that it's good quality building material. And so that's what I want to talk about for the next few weeks. When it comes to character, what are the building blocks of good character? What are the things that scripture points out and says, this is the places where you need to, to make sure you're not skimping, that you're not holding back, that you're paying attention to these parts of your life. Because if you don't, it could end in disaster. It could end in Ruin not just for you, but for even other people around you. So this morning, in the time we have left, I want to speak about our first point. See, the first building block of a character, the first foundational part of character is this, obedience. Obedience. We're going to take a look at the life of Saul this morning and some things that happened in the life of King Saul that led him ultimately to the downfall that he experienced. See, obedience is not just for children and dogs, right? It's not just for children and dogs. I think in our culture, in our society, we equate obedience, for the most part is, my children need to obey and my dog needs to obey, right? And I, I can take my dog to someone else and have them train, but my kids are my responsibility, but as we get older, as we become adults, we stop thinking about obedience as being a cornerstone or a critical part of the foundation of our lives. We become independent, and we start knowing better, right? Anyone know better? Yeah, you know better than to raise your hand. We, we start being filled with information, Right? In fact, in school, we, we call that second year of high school is what? Sophomore, which means wise fool, right? Someone who has information but doesn't know actually how to apply it properly. We start thinking, I have enough information and understanding to get by on my own strength. We know this just because you read a book doesn't mean you make, doesn't make you an expert. Or even worse now, just because you read it on Facebook, right. come on. Right. Because there's things, not everything on Facebook is true or accurate. In fact, I would say quite the opposite. Right. The Bible says it this way, don't lean on your own understanding, right? In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. We start basing our decisions on our own experience. Well, I've got lots of experience. I've done that before. Been there, gone there, done that. Been around the block a few times, got some scars to prove it. But if you've been alive for any length of time, you know this, what worked there doesn't always work here. 
And just because you have experience doesn't mean that you get to do whatever you want to do. It doesn't work well. Things change. We end up with the accolades and the praise of people telling us how great we are and how amazing we are. Building up our confidence and saying, oh, you're just, you're incredible. I love the way you do that. And it can start going to our heads. It can be disastrous if we don't handle it well. Because then I, I start listening to the praise of man more than the voice of God in my life. And it undermines the integrity and the strength of the foundation of my life. Just like that house, things start sinking. And eventually what's being eroded in private becomes exposed in public. And we wonder sometimes, maybe you've heard of people, friends and leaders and, and people in ministry who one minute they're doing great and the next minute they're a train wreck. And you kind of wonder, what, what happened? And we can look at the circumstances, but I'll tell you what, it's not the moments that matter, it's what's happening over the course of time in private. It matters what's happening behind the scenes, below the surface. See, because Jesus said that a tree will produce fruit if its roots are healthy. And you can't fake it. The fruit of the Spirit are the result of what's been established below the surface in our lives in a foundational place. So we see this in the life of King Saul. Saul, who was the first king of Israel, when Israel demanded of God, we want a king. We want, to be a, we want a king so we can be like other nations. And, 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 and God says to Samuel, you know, tell the people, I'm your king. God is your king. Why do you need some person to be your king? And they just demand it all the louder. We want a king. We want a king. So God chooses Saul. He was a man of great stature. He was good looking. He was tall. He was muscular. And he had all of the makings on the outside of being a mighty leader. But there were some below-the-surface issues in the life of Saul that ultimately led to his demise. See, here in 1 Samuel 15, I'm going to give a little backstory, and then we'll read a fairly lengthy portion of passage, but it's important for us to get the full picture. God has instructed Saul and the armies of Israel to go and to wipe out the Amalekites. And, and God's instruction was this, you, you need to wipe them completely out. The men, the women, children, the livestock, everything. Now listen, I don't get that. That's a place where I have to say, okay, God, you're, you know what you're doing. And so for our purposes this morning, all we're concerned with is the fact that God gave a command. Saul, go do this. Saul goes with his armies and he attacks them and and he does like a 90% job. But rather than destroying everything, at some point the decision is made, hey, let's reserve some of the best. Some of the best cattle and the sheep and, the, and, 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 and let's keep their king alive, which he wasn't supposed to do. Now, can I tell you what's happening right here is that there were times in the past where God had dispatched the armies of Israel and said, hey, go and, and attack these people, but you can keep those items. And so Paul, I mean, Saul rather is going, well, 
This is what we did before, so I'm sure God will be okay with it, except for God didn't say he was okay with it. And so they go, they attack the Amalekites, they keep the best of the, the, the different portions, they keep Agag alive, and then God speaks to Samuel. In verse 10 of chapter 15, he says this, it says this, the, then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king. Because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. And there he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. Um, Let me pause there for a second. Carmel was a high place. It's a high place. In fact, Carmel is the place where Isaiah would come and he would pray and God would consume the, the, the offering and the altar and the water and, and he, he stands up to the, the, the prophets of Baal. It's a high place, not just spiritually, but, but geographically, that in, in the valley surrounding Nazareth and in this region, you could see uh, Mount Carmel. It stuck out above everything. And so Saul goes to a high place and he builds an altar and a monument in his own honor. What a guy. What a guy. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel says, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? And Saul answered, The soldiers brought them. From the Amalekites, they spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did, not you, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites, which war against them until they have been wiped out. Why then, why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. You see the disconnect? I did it. <laughs> Here's the king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, and this is key for us, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams, for rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. And Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's command in your instructions. I was, listen to this, I was afraid of the men. And so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. 
But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. The story keeps going. I encourage you, go, go read the rest of 1 Samuel 15. A heartbreaking moment. A heartbreaking moment as a king, as this anointing of the Lord on this king is removed. Now, interestingly, Saul continues to reign for 20 years. And it's a hard 20 years. It's a hard season. But it's what happens before this moment that really matters for us. A powerful story as we witness the, the final moments of the down spiral and the downward spiral of a king. He loses the anointing. He loses God's favor upon his life because he failed to walk in obedience to the Lord. Samuel says to him, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrificed, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. These are strong words, church. He ends up, he ends up comparing disobedience and rebellion to witchcraft and idolatry. He uses, strong, he uses the language that describes the, the way that their enemies functioned. Divination and witchcraft and idolatry were what the other people, it's what the Amalekites did. And because of his disobedience, he had brought that into their own camp, into their own nation, and into his own life. See, the object here of the idolatry is self. We don't have to stretch our imaginations far because it starts out saying Saul has gone up to Carmel and has he erected a monument to himself. He's so far gone in the lies and in his own deception that he believes he's that good. That he's that amazing. And he puts himself in the place of God making decisions that only God can make. A few points this morning. We'll move through these pretty quickly. First is this. We don't obey to be loved. We obey because we are loved. We don't obey to be loved. We obey because we are loved. This is important to say right out of the gate because here's the thing is we can start using obedience as a tool or as a, as a means to say I need to earn the love of God. But can I just tell you because of what we even celebrated at the table a few minutes ago, God can't love you any more than he already does. You have nothing to prove. And so we have to remember at the very outset that obedience is not about earning God's love. It's not about trying to God, make God happy with me. The reason I obey God is because he loves me. Because he already, he has chosen me. He's chosen you. See, God chose Saul to be king. Out of the entire nation of Israel, he picks Saul. Now, it wasn't what he wanted for the nation, but I, I tell you what, God's not gonna pick someone who's not a good pick for his people. Because he still loves him, so he chose Saul. And here's the amazing thing is at the beginning, Saul didn't even want the job. When it comes to him being coronated and installed as the king, he was hiding with the baggage. This big, muscular, strapping guy was scared. 
He was small in his own eyes, as Samuel says. I don't want the job. And I think it's one of the things that qualified him for the job. I can't do that job. And God's like, you're right, you can. That's why I'm picking you. But something changed. Samuel says to him, although you were once small in your own eyes, did not you become the head of the tribes of Israel? God has big things in store for us, church. He has big, big things in store for you. He has big plans for you. But it starts with us recognizing that we're not all that and that we need him in our lives. We need the presence of God and the voice of God and the word of God to direct us everywhere we go. Saul could not have become the head of the tribes of Israel and commanded the way he did were it not for the Lord. But somewhere along the line, Samuel started thinking, I've got enough information and I've got enough experience in the voice of the people. Why did you do this, Saul? Well, the men wanted me to. The men, it was the men, it was them. And we can let the outside voices start affecting the decisions that we make in regards to our obedience to the Lord. And God's not okay with that. That the fear of the Lord is the thing that trumps, it's the thing that comes first in our lives. See, obedience flows from the love we receive from and have for God, always will. Bible tells us that we love him because he first loved us. I can't love except for the fact that I've been loved. See, obedience is never about performance. In fact, performance will lead us to doing things in our own strength, which takes us away and starts telling us that it's okay for us to do things, the things that we want to do, See, offering and sacrifice is what God is saying here is this. You can do stuff for God and still miss the heart of God. Saul felt like he was doing stuff for God. I'm going out and I'm fighting this battle. I'm going out and I'm doing that thing and this thing. God, I'm serving on this ministry team. God, I'm diligently reading my Bible. You know that the power of reading the word of God is not the reading of the word of God. It's hearing and obeying what Jesus is saying to us, right? The person who builds their house on the rock is the person who hears what Jesus says and then does it. There's a point of application here that's so critical for us that we have to get. See, we can miss God in the midst of doing stuff for God. It's a character issue. The second thing is this. God's word, always, only, ever. God's word, always, only, ever. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? And like I said, we have tons of different voices in our lives. We have our own voice, right? Do you talk to yourself? Anyone else? Yeah. <laughs> I've learned this, that for the most part, I can't trust me. That when I lean on my own understanding, when I do the things that I think I should be doing, more often than not, it gets me in trouble. That I have to submit and surrender myself 
to the authority and the lordship of Jesus. In fact, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? The irony here is this. If someone is the Lord, it means they're in control. That, that's the definition of that name. He is the one who is over. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? You say, oh God, you're this in my life, but your actions say something else. It's a character issue. It's a character issue in our lives. It's an obedience problem for us. God says, I'm calling you to do this. I'm calling you to, to move in this way. I want you to step out in faith. I, I want you to stop doing that. And that the response, the only response of our, our heart should ever be, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. But we start reasoning, much like Saul does. But I did do what you asked me to do. No, you didn't. You went almost all the way, but you didn't follow through with what I'm asking you to do. See these voices, my own voice, the people in my life, the culture. Even, can I just tell you, even your pastor. I, I, I hope and pray that, that the things that I get to say and preach from this pulpit draw you closer to God, but you have to weigh that yourself. For too many of us, we've become reliant on the pulpit and not reliant on the word of God. The Bible says that in the, in the latter days, in these last days, that our ears will start itching and we will find people to tell us what we want to hear. And there are voices in culture right now, there are voices in the church that are contradictory to what God's word is. And, and, and what we do is we say, well, if there's enough people saying the same thing, then it must be right. And all God needs is one righteous person to stand up and say, no, this is what the word of God says. First in my life, by the way, sacrifices and offerings where I say, hey, I'm going to tell you what to do and I'm not even doing it myself. So this is just a very personal, it's below the surface foundational issue for us. God's word only, always, ever. And here's the thing, church. I'm not just, I'm not... God will speak to us in many different ways. We know that. Dreams and visions. We sang about that this morning. But there is no substitute for this. There is no substitute for this. And God will speak to us in all of these different ways. He will speak to us through other people. He will minister to our emotions. But at the end of the day, you have to hide his word in your heart. And you have to walk in obedience to God's word. This is non-negotiable for us. It's just non-negotiable. We can't choose to obey parts of it and disobey other parts of it and think that God's okay with that. So it goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway. If you don't know it, you're probably walking in disobedience in some parts of your life. Why, why so heavy on this? Because this will save us from destruction down the road. There's no substitute for the word of God. It is our rock. It is absolutely our rock. And finally this morning, small compromises become big problems. Small compromises become big problems, small, small, Saul, 
didn't crumble overnight. This was at the end of a string of compromise. Little thing here, a little thing there. I'm not going to fully do what God told me to do here. I'm not going to fully do what God told me to do there. And eventually, he got puffed up and proud, and he thought he knew better than God. And can I just tell you, that's a very dangerous place to be. It's a very dangerous place to be, not because God's going to strike you with lightning, right? That's not the God we serve. But when we lay hold of the reins of our lives, that God is not going to rip them back out of our hands. C.S. Lewis talks about the fact that God is a gentleman. And then when we want to take control, God will say, okay, go ahead. And I'll meet you on the other side and pick up the pieces with you. And so we have to understand that small compromises become big problems. God says to him, you were one small in your own eyes. You were one small. You started in a place where you had the right heart. You didn't think highly of yourself. You didn't think you were all that. You didn't think you had all of the answers and you knew. There was a time when you absolutely relied on me for everything. And it was a good time. But something changed over time. And here's the thing, church. Saul's disobedience didn't just affect him. It affected a nation. And when we start thinking that the little compromises in private in our lives, what's well, just going to affect me, they don't. That those compromises in private will have ripple effects and impact in the lives of other people. And God loves those people. He loves you and he loves those people. And so he's saying to us as a church, hey, would you stop and would you listen for my voice? Would you press in and would you start hearing what it is I have for you? And then would you walk in obedience? Would you walk in obedience to what I'm asking of you? In the little things, in the small things of life. So let me ask you this morning, as you evaluate, as you take stock and take inventory of your own life, are there places in your own walk with the Lord where you would say, hmm, I'm out of line. My foundation is sinking. Maybe there's some cracks that are showing in your life. And you know what we want to do, church? We want to do this. We want to get spackle. And we want to spackle those cracks and go, look, everything's okay. Put another coat of paint on it. And God goes, stop putting spackle on the crack and start digging down deep and deal with the foundation. Yes, it's going to take work. Yes, it'll be messy. But it is absolutely worth the time and the work and the investment. See, God specializes in repairing foundations. Let's stand together as we close. I want to encourage you, if, if you've not signed up for Thriving Life, if you're able to join us, we'd love for you to be there. Part of the goal with Thriving Life is this, is to, to address some of these things, to give us some of the tools that we need so that we can walk in obedience to what God has for us. It's just a tool. Uh, it's a, it's a four-week discipleship class. Here's what I know. At the end of four weeks, you're not going to come out fully discipled. 
In fact, you'll probably be more aware of brokenness than you are like, oh, I'm done. You'll have more work to do, but it's designed to be something to help us. We all need help. We all need people in our lives who, who press us towards being in the presence of God, who encourage us. I'm so thankful that Saul had Samuel and that David had Samuel. And, and you see how Samuel's heart broke over Saul. He recognized, you've, you've missed it. He, he, he wept over that. But at the end of the day, it's about you and God. It's about you doing the work you need to do in the presence of God, hearing his voice so that you can, your life can be built on the rock. Let's pray. Father God, dig deep, Lord. Dig deep. God, I pray that you would lovingly and caringly show us, Lord, the places where the foundations, the character foundations of our lives have been compromised. And God, that you would give us the word, your wisdom, your strength to do the work of repairing those places, Lord. For the sake of our relationship with you, for the sake of our relationship with each other, for the sake of your kingdom, we pray. Thank you, God, that you are faithful, that you are gentle, that you are compassionate and merciful and kind. We give you praise in the name of Jesus. Amen.